Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, we get to learn from master herbalist Tammy Sweet, who has just recently launched a new course on the physiology of sleep and how to restore natural, deep, healing sleep with lifestyle changes and supportive herbs. Having literally written books on cannabis, two in fact, The Holistic Healing Guide to Cannabis and The Beginner's Guide to Growing Cannabis, many people come to Tammy asking about how to work with cannabis for sleep. While she's a huge advocate for cultivating a healing and even spiritual relationship with this master healing plant, she wrote her class because so many people are not aware of the massive impacts our modern lifestyle has had on changing how we sleep, when our physiologic needs have not changed at all. No amount of herbal or pharmaceutical sleep aids will address this. Tammy Sweet loves to teach. It's her superpower. She has a magical ability to connect with almost anyone when teaching and help them understand complex material. For over 30 years, Tammy has shared her gift of teaching at various colleges, massage schools, and herbal schools throughout the country. In 2007, Tammy set out to combine all the things she loves into one curriculum. So she and her partner, Chris Miller, launched the Heartstone Center for Earth Essentials. Their vision for Heartstone is to co-create a space with the land where people can come home, take refuge, and find the sacred both on the land and within themselves in facilitating healing. At Heartstone, Tammy and Chris run an herbal apprenticeship. Tammy also offers online courses on anatomy and physiology for herbalists, how to grow and make plant medicine with cannabis. And our conversation today delves into the importance of reconnecting with nature and the land for healing. We have to tell people to go outside. Like that is insane to me. Like we have to say, go outside. You need this for your health. Tammy emphasizes the significance of cultivating a relationship with plants and highlights her journey with cannabis, emphasizing its role in her life as an ally rather than merely a substance for pain or sleep. One of the functions of our endocannabinoid system is to create safety. And so for me, it's, I don't, I don't work with cannabis for chronic pain. I don't work with cannabis for sleep. It's more about journeying and more of a master plant ally Mm. kind of relationship. Our discussion transitions to the booming interest in psychedelic medicine and cannabis, particularly in the context of evolving understanding of sleep. Tammy stresses the need to move beyond denial about the impact of modern lifestyles on sleep and acknowledges the global health pandemic related to sleep deprivation. We're a hundred year experiment that is failing. And I think that we're seeing that this way of life is not sustainable. We conclude with simple yet impactful changes that you can make to enhance your sleep patterns, improving both quality and quantity of sleep, and explore the critical role of sleep and overall well-being as a remedy for emotional resilience, immune system function, hormone balance, and circadian rhythms. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Well, all right, Tammy Sweet, thank Woo. you so much for being here and coming and gracing our heel audience with your presence. I'm just Yay. thrilled. Yay. Awesome. On this snowy day. I know. This is so special. This is the first significant week. There was a flurry that I saw last night, but <laughs> this is actually snowing now. So yes. I'm really excited. And post full moon, all yep. we got all the good energy. So- I, uh, God, where do I want to start with this? I got to spend two and a half, three days Mm -hmm. with you this summer at your and Chris's place, Heartstone, which is magic. I couldn't like walking on that land. So how many acres do you guys have? Five? 29. 29. Yeah. Just kidding. (laughs) 29. (laughs) acres outside of Ithaca, New York. And it's this beautiful, you can say more about the kind of specifics, but what I experienced was this like being on natural land, like the way the, it would have been like, like letting nature grow the way that it would naturally grow. And yet with intentionality to what species are there and all the different herbs. And I was there for an energetic herbalism course and we got to camp out and eat together and learn together and sing together. And it was, I mean, I'm still, I've been using so much from that program and, and it's been, you know, it actually reminded me of many things that I had learned through my Chinese medicine practices from medical school and some of the other herbalists I'd studied with. It sort of like 
brought all that back up to the surface for me. And I've been working with it a lot, but just being on that dirt was yeah. incredible. What was the vision of that for you guys? Yeah. And, and the, the key word that I love that you used is remembered, mm-hmm. you know, that's a big part of our mission is to help people remember who they are in the, in the world. And so, yeah, the vision, let's see, it's been 20, one years that we've had this land that we've been stewarding and right away we knew that we wanted to be a sanctuary so we applied with united plant savers we're also a monarch sanctuary and and we have a land management plan with the the government which is to support woodland herbs and that's our whole goal is to basically nourish the land and get it, you know, thriving. And I've been studying Elaine Ingham's soil food web course, which I'm so geeked out about, but like how to increase the the soil diversity. And our goal is to get people exactly like that weekend on the land with their feet, barefoot, preferably that they're just wandering. And we we purposely want people here residential for a weekend so they don't get in their car. You walk to lunch, you know, you have time to wander the gardens. It's that's and we we laugh because basically our job as teachers is just to get people here and the land does so much of the work. And Chris moved her practice, her counseling practice onto the land, and she can't believe the shifts that have happened because she's working with the land. So, yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's really huge. I, you don't know this, but some of my uh, audience does. I just got back from two weeks in the Amazon jungle in Peru. And mm-hmm. there was a whole conversation we were having, working with the herbs and the plants down there that was about reciprocity and giving back to the earth and the importance of the, of the relationship and, and how, I would even consider myself a fairly plant conscious person. (laughs) And Uh I was like, wow, there's so much more for me in gratitude for the land and also allowing it to hold space and thinking of what the plants and the energy of the plants are actually doing. I actually remember I had a friend who raised grass fed Devonshire beef in Montana and she had been doing it so long that the cattle that she was raising were many, many, many generations deep Mm. of fully pasteurized cows. They were like being with wild animals. It was so Uh distinct from being around a regular farm cattle ranch. And and there was this this experience. And it's like, I wouldn't have been able to say this before, but being on your land is like that. It's like being with with the wild. There's something distinct about how it feels. And yet we were walking around doing the herb walk and plant picking out all these different herbs. And also that recognition that our medicine cabinet was our backyards. It was down by the streams and it was in the woods and it was all around us. And we used to, you know, that's a big piece for me is expanding people's knowledge to reconnect to healing doesn't have to be complicated. And we have answers all around us. And there's things literally sometimes at our back doorstep that are right there, ready to help us realign our bodies, our minds, our spirits. Exactly. And one of the things that Chris and I do every spring is we do a ceremony in our big, we have a big medicine wheel garden, multiple rings, and we do a ceremony where we journey with the land and we ask the land, you know, how are we doing? Like, and what would you like this year? And what, and and we've tried to commit to doing it more than once a year, but we at least have that marker every year. And it's really important, for example, like you were saying, to leave wild places. And just, you know, we are very thoughtful about where we mow and where we actually even occupy the land. We want nat- we want wild corridors for the animals. And it's amazing, too, who shows up. Right. There's the plants that we plant in the garden. And then there's all the plants that show up on the land, you know, that like I remember when we first moved here, we're like, oh, we need hawthorn. So we planted these two little hawthorn trees. And then the next spring, we walked right on the other side of the tree line and there were wild hawthorn already. They were like, we're so silly. (laughs) (laughs) The land's like, we got you. (laughs) Yep. Awesome. 
And one of the other places, this is where I'm particularly excited to connect with you is, you know, there's this boom of psychedelic medicine and, you know, working with master healer plants, which that's a whole conversation in and of itself. And cannabis has been at the forefront of that a bit longer. We're now coming into the psychedelic revolution and lots of things are opening up post prohibition, although we still have prohibition. But cannabis was kind of like the the front runner that started to yeah. crack a lot of that open. And I will fully admit that for much of my practice originally, I was a card carrying member of the anti medical cannabis world. It was all just from like I'm a I was born in the 80s. I was a kid of dare and you know don't <laughs> do drugs and right like right. a lot of my experiences around cannabis was was from a place of abuse or misuse or you know what have you and. I was just not interested and, and like literally was like, yeah, whatever. I don't prescribe any drugs. Why would I prescribe that one? Right. 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 I have completely altered my perspective <laughs> on that. And yep. what's interesting. And I think this goes right into what we can, we're really going to get into today, which is sleep yeah. is the turning point for me personally with cannabis was I had a resurgence of Epstein-Barr virus and cytomegrovirus, and I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome the summer of 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. It wasn't COVID. For me, yeah. it was these other latent viruses, and my nervous system was so overwhelmed. I it could just couldn't regulate. And yeah. out of pure intuition, my br- body was like, I think you need to start working with cannabis. And that was like 180 degree different change in direction, right. you know? And I- reached out some to great herbalists that I know that were able to guide me on that path and how, and I'm very energetically sensitive to anything. So like I came in really low dose and worked with it and it was paramount in being able for me to get good sleep, for me to be able to actually come into a new residence with my nervous system. That was specifically what made a difference for me. I wasn't dealing with a lot of physical pain. It was this sense of like fritziness and like electricity running through my body. And I just I was wired and tired like all the time yeah. and it started to help me sort that out. And this is an area you've been researching and participating in for a long time. So I'd yeah. love for you to dive in. Where should yeah. we begin? Yeah. Well, and I want to kind of echo what you're saying. I was a jock. I played college basketball. You know, I was like, no, not going to do that. And it wasn't until my late thirties that I even tried cannabis. And, and then I was like, oh, why are people, then I was like, what's, what's the big deal with people? Why are they so afraid of this plant? So I grew a plant. And once I grew that one plant, I was like, oh, I get it. She is so powerful. And I understand why, you know, the powers that be are afraid of getting her out there. So I just like to start with that. I didn't I, I had a I have a completely different long-term relationship with her. And it's where I would say I came in, the the place that she was the most helpful to me was a reg, creating a system of safety. That so for me, it was, you know, maybe I started out maybe once a month, once every three weeks, I would try, have a little bit of cannabis and journey. And and that dosing actually helped reestablish an endocannabinoid baseline where, and I, the way I frame it to people is that one of the functions of our endocannabinoid system is to create safety and what can happen in an organism where you've got this chemistry of safety to do all this other work. And so for me, it's, I don't, I don't work with cannabis for chronic pain I don't work with cannabis for sleep. It's more about journeying and more of a master plant ally mm. kind of relationship. But I that that piece that's why I, that's why I think too CBD blew up was because it was boosting our endocannabinoids and people were like, "Wow, what can I? Who am I in this yeah. place?" And we that's move also out of that deep survival into something that exactly, feels a lot more at home. Exactly, and it's also what took me to, because so many people were coming to me saying, I can't sleep. And as an herbalist, I'm like, well, did you try these other herbs? And they're like, you know, and then, then the conversation about cannabis and then fine tuning 
like you were saying, energetically sensitive that, you know, we've got a whole apothecary of cannabis cultivars. The wrong one is going to have you up doing math, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. it's not going to help you sleep. So yeah, so we can, we can go anywhere right now. Great. Great. <laughs> I want to just bring in what would be your simplest definition or description of journeying for people who aren't familiar oh, sure. with that, how to differentiate yep. that from just like taking a substance. Sure. So generally speaking, I set aside a time and where I'm alone, I'm not going to be disturbed. And I light a candle, create a, a, an energetic boundary. And then once I am altered with cannabis, then I either will put on some journeying, like drumming music, so that I can actually go into an altered state, a liminal state. And depending on, you know, who you study with, like I studied with Tom Brown Jr., there's a whole map of the spirit world. But just to go and for a lot of it is one component is always working with that specific cultivar and asking that specific cultivar, what are your gifts? How could you help people? And it's kind of like a, instead of sending out to a lab to get a cannabinoid and terpene test, I'm also going through a bunch of questions and, and saying, so what would, how would you like to help people? So it's a, you know, it's an inner dreaming is another way to frame it. And then I, I have my journal with me so that if I need to write things down and it's also, I get comfy, you know, so it's, it's a set setting of like an intention of I'm going to go do this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm cultivating my relationship with this plant is really what it is. So we have, we have dates. You can think yep. of their, yep. their dates that we spend yep. time together. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. And I, you know, I really, since my involvement in working with master plants these last four or five years, I've been working on changing my language from using to working mm -hmm. with, yep. right? With any herb, with any medicine, yep. like even vitamin C, you could even go there yes. if you wanted to, right? And and there's an interesting distinction of working with versus using where there's this co-creation in this partnership. And yes. it's like like both parties have a say. And you know, that's a, for me has always been important to me in naturopathic medicine is shifting away from you can use herbs in a drug-like way, meaning yep. you're forcing the body's biochemistry to do something against its will to have a particular desired effect. In my opinion is that's most useful in emergency situations. Yeah. But then yep. the rest of the time, which is most of the time when we're in something chronic, if you're using herbs in a drug-like way, you're overpowering the body's natural wisdom and you may be missing the greatest yep. opportunities to heal because you yes. can't see it or hear it through all the noise. So yes. ramping down the dosages, doing it, and then this whole piece of working with things with intention. I mean, as a naturopath, we used to hear these miracle stories of like 15 drops of this herb and the person never had the disease again. Yeah, There's so much about how the herb was cultivated, how it was grown, the relationship between the herbalist and the herb, the relationship of, of the energetics of all. And that what you talk to about journeying starts to get into that where you can then experience five drops of an herb having a huge and profound yes. impact on somebody's whole being, including their physiology. Absolutely. And the yeah, when I'm when I'm talking about journeying, for example, I'm talking like a two milligram dose, four drops. You know, I'm not I'm not doing heroic dosing. I'm, you know, I'm doing very low dose. And and I have even practiced my sensitivity. I mostly only work with medicines that I grow. And I have a couple of friends who are growers. And so I have practiced trying to see if I can detect the signature of the grower. And, and a lot of times it shows up as cartoon characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for example, my brother's, it shows up as Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> it's awesome. But anyway, yeah. back to, back to what you were saying. Absolutely. And that's also like, I'm a, a, a licensed hemp farmer, right? So that's part of as a kinesthetic learner, 
part of my relationship has been cultivating the plant. And be, and my favorite way of interacting with her is actually like big leafing, pruning, is just being in there with her and just being like, oh, what do you need? And over like, and then now going back to what you were saying about, I'm an herbalist. I've been studying plants for 25 years and I still am a silly human where I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even say hello. I just came in here and started ripping leaves off, you know? Yep. Yeah. So like, we're like, we are, you know, I, I always feel like the plant world's like our, our elder grandmother, who's like, oh, honey, like you forgot your manners. Come on, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but I, I, you can feel the difference, you know, working with a medicine that somebody loves and has cultivated versus factory farms. We just can. And the same way uh, that it's, it's true with, the tomatoes and the apples and the peaches yeah. and the cherries that we get from the farmer down the road, they have this sweetness and this complexity and these tastes that is just not what it is, even when they're organically produced from exactly. factory farms, like hundred exactly. percent makes total sense. And it's a so- hard thing that I have to do when, like I did a consult with someone yesterday and I asked her what she was u- working with, you know, and she she said, yeah, I got some CBD from the CBD store. And then I have to like unpack that. Like, okay, show, tell me about the bottle. Does it smell like weed? You know, like, like that's the other thing. I, I as an herbalist, I, I get annoyed, angry when people are like, well, this, this didn't work. And I'm like, well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit about, well, how was it being worked with? What kind of medicine is it? You know? Yeah. 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 Yep. And this... and that can be a little overwhelming. I mean, for me, I'm literally a physician and I struggle a bit navigating the complexity of the world of cannabis because there is so yeah. much. And then, you know, I have people that ask me questions from all over the country and, and it's like, I, I'm like, I can direct you, but just what's on the shelf of your local drugstore, which now CBD is kind of everywhere in, in some yeah. states, many states, you know, it, it there's such a wide variety of what will and won't work and why and how and, you know, all that. And I get, I get that it's, but also hopefully this conversation starts to bring people, you know, I say the same thing about herbalism as I do about food, which is shake the hand of your farmer and you will, <laughs> you know, you'll be able to get a greater access of a lot exactly. of information and things that are local and all, all kinds of things that, you know, works, it works well for the economy, all of that. So I'd like to bridge this into kind of the main show here, which is to talk about sleep. You're actually launching a brand new course the end yep. of this year, the sleep alchemist transforming nights through traditional and modern wisdom. This is such a huge topic. I would say, even if it's not the main reason why my clients come to me, 25 to 40% of the people that I work with having conversations and working on their sleep is a major component. Maybe even that's lowballing it. When I really like look, you know, they may be coming to me for something else, but when we really look, there's an issue with sleep. It's it's yeah. huge. It's pandemic at this point. Yeah. Yep. So one, I have would love your thoughts on that, right? Like why, how are we here? What, why are we here? And then start to get into some of the things you've discovered about, you know, what does it actually mean to get a good night's sleep and how do we go about doing that? Yeah. Great. So why are we here? We actually, I don't think that there is, well, by the way, the WHO, the World Health Organi- Organization says we're in a global health pandemic around lack of sleep. Like that's just known. I don't think that physiologically there's a problem with sleeping. The problem is that our denial that we are intimately linked with our environment and living a life that is disconnected. And we are in a hundred plus year experiment with electric lights. And I, I think if that one piece if we just were to come out of denial that actually I need the, the cues from the environment, I'm looking out my window, right? I need to be in direct relationship with that environment. The, the second thing is living in a temperature controlled, isolated pod of your house, right? That's number two. So the light, 
and you know, so if we, you know, I, I get all flustered. It's like, I, there's not an issue. We, we don't, it's not that we don't know how to sleep. It's not that we can't sleep. It's just that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to sleep is really the issue. Mm. And I was thinking about it on my walk this morning. It's, I really believe that evolutionarily we are being asked to grow up. We're being asked to come out of denial. And I'm sure you see this in your practice. It's like, you know what? Most of these issues, chronic inflammation is a lifestyle issue. The lack of sleep insomnia is a lifestyle and lifestyle are decisions that we're making about what's a priority. So like the, the, okay, what are things like, and, and people don't want to hear that, right? They want please just tell me it's melatonin that I need to take. Oh, could it be cannabis? You know, like, right. And it's, it's like, okay, number one, give yourself the opportunity for the eight hours of sleep that for 3 billion, a million years you have needed. We didn't just evolve out of it in the last hundred years. And, and to me, like having that information, like to me, the first step is like coming out of denial and getting the correct information. So up until 1900, we got nine hours of sleep a night. 1900, between now and 1900, we get two hours less sleep a night. We did not evolve that fast to need that fewer amount of sleep. So I love the idea of like, give yourself the opportunity, give yourself the window to get into bed, right? And then like, it's so like, as I was doing research, like the the sleep hygiene protocol that everybody rolls their eyes at and says, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the other one is like step number two, get your face out into this natural light for at least 30 minutes a day. Okay. We are having to tell humans, please go outside for at least 30 minutes a day. Like there's a whole slew of other things that we could say is the benefit, but for sleep, it's like, okay, it's helping keep my circadian rhythm. It's going to help me produce the melatonin later in the day to help me feel sleepy. Like, or, you know, take the melatonin pill. <laughs> it's just like, it's so silly, you know? And then the light, like the light is so like the studies that have been done that say even the little amount of lux that is created from your bedside lamp is enough to throw your circadian rhythm, to, to throw the, the melatonin production off two to three hours. That's way less than your little flat screen, your little iPad, your little iPhone, the big screen LED light, the television. So that's a whole, like, again, I go back to, we are being asked to evolve. We are being asked to grow up and say, you know what? This is actually not helping me. I just, I started creating my slide deck. I'm doing a webinar and the, the slide deck was, you know, big bummers. You know, what are the bummers from not sleeping? And the first one was death. <laughs> like, like we die if we don't sleep. And then, okay. Like, and you know, it's so much so like we get so psychotic when we don't sleep that they, they don't do studies where they prevent you sleeping anymore. Cause they're like, we know we, we can't do this. It's to too people. damaging. Yeah. Yeah. They won't even it's do too it. damaging. Yeah. And so then, you know, the next slide is like, okay, every major system has diseases that are impacted from less than seven hours of sleep a night. We're not talking four hours a night. We're talking seven. Yep. Okay. There. There's this my, is so like, good. Yo, yeah. 100%. And uh, I know where to go. From I there. know. Right. It's, it's like, so there is the, I don't know why this is what my brain wants to say, but the re-manicuring, there's like a, a shifting of our lifestyle. And I mean, mm -hmm. that's a huge, I, I've been a big foodie. I wrote yep. a cookbook. Food has been cornerstone of a lot of my practice and my life. And in the last four or five years, definitely since the pandemic, so three, four years, I have shifted where I mean, food is important, but it's like I've beat that drum so hard. And, yeah. and now we've learned so much about blood sugar regulation and how critical that is. 
And people will come to me and they're like, I just don't get it. I'm eating as healthy as I possibly like, really, do I have to like get down to every gram of sugar out of my diet? Do I really have to never eat another granule of rice? Like what's the deal, but I'm not getting the results and I'm eating super clean and we start to open it up. And I mean, what I see is stress levels, which then is another bottomless pit where people are like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I have the life I have. I have the career I have. I have the kids I have. Like, I can't, I don't even know how I could turn down quote unquote the stress. And as I dug and dug, what I get to is one of the cornerstones of our body's resiliency in stress tolerance and in blood sugar regulation is a quality of our sleep. Exactly. It's like the hidden answer in the room, but people don't. And they're like, well, that can't be it. <laughs> but I, but I, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw it at you, but I haven't had a problem on six hours of sleep before. Yeah. So the, one of the myths about it is that the human brain cannot recognize how impaired it is. Study after study after study proves that you do not recognize how impaired you are cognitively and emotionally and psychologically from your lack of sleep and just start reading the data. And it's like, it's, it's there. You think you're, there was a study that was done on 70, 750,000 school age children. And the parents believed that they were getting enough sleep. And when they actually ran the data, 25% of those kids were getting enough sleep, nine hours of sleep, eight to nine hours of sleep. Like there's a huge amount of denial. It's one of our four biological drives. Like it's a, like we need to sleep. And uh, the the way I like to like to go back to someone saying, but I haven't noticed it. Well, probably everybody else around you has noticed. And maybe you can, with your, your life, your chi early on in your life, you can power through But once you get over 40, 45, things start changing and you don't have that account anymore to pull from. I also think mixed in there, again, I go back to we're being asked to grow up and mature and come into a co-creative relationship with our environment is that REM sleep is absolutely crucial for our emotional IQ, for our processing of the day. So that vicious cycle of stressed life, which, you know, I didn't even, so I talked about light, right. And getting outside, but every, every, for the last 50 years, every single study that has studied sleep, the the cause of lack, like there's always a component of an overactive sympathetic nervous system. And again, we're a hundred year experiment that is failing. And I think that what we're seeing is that this way of life is not sustainable and we have to do the best we can. Like we're in that changing time, right? We're in the middle of the changing time and it's messy. And as practitioners and as trying to help people suffer less, Sleep is the one thing. It is the universal medicine for everything. And so I, I feel like, you know, I, I did when I started, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, when I started talking about cannabis, wasn't out like it is now. And I was teaching herbalists because I was like, we need this plant in the herbalist hands, right? And now I feel like I'm on the front part of this wave too with sleep. It's like, okay, come on. We got to get out of denial that we are an, a soft animal body that needs sleep. <laughs> Just yeah. And the the thing I'll I that I start my sleep classes with is when I was in 2000 when I took my herbal apprenticeship with Rosemary Gladstar. The first system we covered was the nervous system, and in my notes. She, this is her quote, which is before you make any major life decision, get three weeks of good sleep. And I feel like this whole sleep class that I'm teaching is just the science behind that truth. Right. So, and I I feel like it's a little, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm like, 
riffing off of this is like, I feel like there actually are indicators that that we just haven't been taught to pay attention to of mm-hmm. the lack of quality sleep. One that I am, I'm about to quote a statistic I do not have the source <laughs> of, but I got it from a reputable source. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about caffeine. Uh-huh. 90%, 90% of adults worldwide. Yes. Not yes. just the Western world, worldwide, 90% utilize caffeine on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when people talk about when the shit hits the fan, right. When basically all it takes is the trucks to stop trucking. That's it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what's going to happen when people cannot get their caffeine? I know we're, we're going to have three weeks where everybody's going to have to like, just hunker down and hide. (laughs) I mean, like, and, and from a global warming perspective and the changes of climate, like Coffee plantations have been majorly affected and tea plantations and water resources are shifting. And I mean, so like it is on the chopping block (laughs) of the list of of things that are shifting. So, yeah, but that's that's one of the indicators that's right there is, you know, we are running off of stimulants in order to function. And I am one of those like Mm -hmm. I use caffeine. I have used it less since I had chronic fatigue and I'm more cognizant of it, but I watch myself go in and out of relationship with it. And I actually have, that was one of the things I, I had to, when I got CFS, I had to change my relationship to sleep. And I will frequently give myself a 10 hour block to get a full night's sleep. And I actually don't wake up to an alarm. I haven't woken up to alarm in several yeah. years. And I start my work day at seven or eight in the morning or some way. And I've just worked out quite frankly, yeah. I go to bed early enough. Yeah. And when I go to bed early enough, I always wake up at about yeah. 6.15 or 6.30 every morning. Like, it's just like, you know, this morning was 5.30 for whatever reason, but every once in a while it's seven. And also that whole having a routine where you're going to bed at about the same time yeah. allows your body to get all of its circadian rhythm lined up, all of its hormones lined up. I mean, there's so many things. We look at the use of bioidentical hormones after menopause. That is relationship to the lack of sleep for 40 years. When we look at how frequently somebody gets sick and the weakness of their immune system, quote unquote, which isn't quite the right way to say it, but when you get frequent colds and flus, and if you get a cold, that's fine, but you should be super sick for 72 hours, knock it out of your system. And then you're like, great. And back to normal life when it's lingering for 10 days, two weeks, that is a low vitality system. And one of the predominant inputs to increase our vitality is quality of sleep. So there actually are these indicators all over the place we could keep picking out about our sense of energy. Do you do you and your five-year-old run around life in the same way? Well, one of them has more <laughs> of their batteries charged than the other, right? right? Our dependence on caffeine, how our immune system is functioning. And then like you said, how our emotions are and do we have a sense of emotional resiliency, which is different than suppressing our emotions. I'm a big right. fan of full emotional expression, but feeling like you have a resiliency that you can be with the big emotions. You don't need to suppress them because they're too overwhelming. I know my capacity, and there are times now after CFS, I'm actually clear. I, I I'm just an emotional basket case, and my whole system is off. And I feel like I'm, you know, I'll in my head, I'm like I'm tanking my life, I'm ruining everything. I don't know how this is possibly going to work out. And I literally go, I just need a good night's sleep, and I'm pretty sure yeah. this is all going to feel different tomorrow. And it is. It was that was a symptom of where my energy system is at. And when I reboot the system, I have like clarity and peace of mind and I can start to see creative solutions to things I'm dealing with, problem solving. So like it's in our relationships, it's in our emotions, it's in our immune system, it's in our hormone system, like all over. Well, and the the thing that the kind of the two, two things that fascinated me when I was researching, one of them is the recycle rate of a human. Like what is, what is like when you're done and it's 16 hours. So if you're awake for, and I, I think data helps just like you were saying, helps me navigate my day. So it's like, okay, if I've been awake for 16 hours, I shouldn't have a really deep conversation at the end of that 16 hours. I should be tapering my night to go to bed. 
So that was, and I like the data. I, I think in terms of like, I love Nathan Pyle, the, the, the cartoonist, mm-hmm. because I've always thought I, when I teach AMP, I'm always like, I'm basically trying to teach aliens what it's like to be a human, right? Anatomy and physiology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anatomy yeah. and physiology. Sorry. So the other thing that I, I got to sleep, I, I got to, I have my, my watch that tracks everything. And, and I recommend that if, and it tracks sleep. And one of the caveats for people is if you are a person who's going to get this data and then freak out and worry about the fact that you're not sleeping, don't, don't, don't do use a sleep tracker. Yeah. I am collecting data and I, you know, I love data. So I don't normally wear a watch, but I, I put it on to go to bed. Right. So I've been collecting it and, you know, the, it's fascinating. So understanding what REM sleep is for and how crucial it is. If I wake up and I check my data and it says, even though I was in bed sleeping for eight hours, but I got no REM sleep, I'm like, you know what, today we're going to treat this like a PMS day when I was bleeding. You know, I'm, I'm not going to engage in some deep emotional, psychological things because I may not have the capacity today. And it's just fascinating to me. And just a little geeky side note, right? So alcohol, number one suppressor of REM sleep, number one, right? And I'm not a big drinker. And over the holiday, I had one cordial that I make. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have one little, I measured it out, right? With bubble water, elderflower. I had it. I went to bed. I, no kidding. Pull up the data, zero REM sleep. I'm like, whoa. That didn't there take it is. any is real there it science. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Super fast. Yeah. Yeah. So like so, that stuff is just fascinating to me. With those sleep trackers, and I'm going to use me as an example. So I notice like it says I get, typically it says I get seven to seven and a half hours of sleep a night. It's measured sleep. And then there's this other hour of awake time. Yeah. But I don't experience yep. that awake time. And I just haven't asked anyone this question. Maybe you know the answer. Is that like considered somewhat part of like there's some normal restlessness or is that problematic? Like, should we actually be like solid asleep from beginning to end? It seems like because I feel like my sleep has gotten really good. And and when I'm really tired, I'll sleep more. I'll sleep eight and a half, nine hours. And I notice that. And then I get caught up and my body has this natural rhythm where my watch says seven and a half hours of sleep. But I know it's really eight and a half and and yep. like that has been my sweet spot. And I, I figure it's good because it, it's been that way without stress. So yeah. what is your reflection on that? What have yeah. you learned? So the, the thing with the sleep trackers is depending on which company that you're wearing, they have their own metrics for deciding what sleep is, right? If I am watching television at the end of the night, sometimes it'll think I'm sleeping. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, so we take it with a grain of salt. It's, you're not actually hooked up to an EEG, which right. would be the best data. So there's that. Then there is, there are, we do have wake awake times that, that we don't know. So, and that's natural. And how old, well, how old, uh, if you're you older, 43, how old, yep. 43, right. So I'm 50, how old am I? 58. And I've noticed postmenopause like what's happening is I'm having more of those wake-ups and, and that has to do, I don't think with you yet, but one of the things it has to do is as we age during that non-REM sleep, we don't generate what's called sleep spindles, which actually keep us in a deeper sleep. So that's why as we age, we wake up more, but I don't think seeing that, especially since you've been tracking it long-term, like waking up or having awake times by the sleep tracker is natural. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then and, and I, that, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was, I was just going to say, brought say up the menopause conversation yes. and I, that's another big topic is like, I've so, 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 so many people that come to me and the common thing is the three o'clock to five o'clock wake time. Now yep. I have a relationship to that in the Chinese medicine clock And some of what happens, liver time is from one to three, and then we transition. And a lot of times there's this like kind of shift that happens and people will wake up around 3 a.m. It's interesting how consistent that is for most people, the 3 a.m. wake time. And sometimes it's a half an hour and sometimes it's two hours of wakefulness. And honestly, from my bag of tricks as a naturopath, in terms of prescribing something, 
I just haven't had much success. What I notice is the more we just work on their general lifestyle yeah. and their overall health and well-being, we start to get that window to close and then we get like more and more full night sleeps and then sometimes that'll crop back up. But there's never I've I've literally we've tried them all. There's never yeah. been a button I could push that's like take this and it'll get rid of the 3 a.m. wake-ups. Curious your reflection on that. Yeah, and I would yeah, I, I think even just from that perspective, thinking of that liver time. So when we're increasing their overall health, right? The the night sleeping is the liver's night job of detoxing, right? So it makes sense to me that supporting the whole container of health is gonna help narrow that window. And then I'm, you know, like we gotta add, so are we ruling out bladder? People gotta get up to pee, right? And then also pain especially as we get older, we, we have more pain and that will wake us up. And so like, I, like, I'm sure like it's in the yep. whole container of whole wellness. And the other piece is that, that I wanted to mention too, is like in, in our elder time, the other thing that's happening is our circadian rhythm shifts again. So teenagers, it shifts forward where it's actually, they're not lazy they're not making it up. They actually, they need to, they, their circadian rhythm says, I'm going to go to bed between 11 and 12 and I need to wake up nine or 10. Like that's just, that's just And we biology. program a school schedule that's completely exactly. in the face of that. Yeah, exactly. And there are studies with increased performance of people, teenagers, if they, the schools that have shifted it, and decrease, uh, did I already say this, a 70% reduction in car accidents? No, you haven't mentioned in, that. Yeah. yeah. So there were two studies, one in Minnesota, one in Wyoming, where they sh the, the Minnesota shifted 30 minutes. So they, instead of coming to school at 730, they came to school at eight. And the traffic accidents from 16 to 18 year olds decreased by, I think it was 50 or 55%. In Wyoming, they did it an hour and it dropped them by 70%. Wow. And so understanding that that's just nat nature and it makes sense, right? As a teenager, we biologically, it's like, and uh, sociologically un unhooking from your parents. I also think about your role as like guardian of the tribe, right? You've got to be awake, paying attention. And then it also shifts again in our elderhood where we actually want to go to bed earlier and the mel the circadian rhythm shifts. And so I also think that as elders, we, we want to stay up. We want to do what all the cool young kids are doing, but we're not paying attention. We're in denial about what's true about our circadian rhythm. So I also think that that has a piece to play with yep. the 3am wake up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So shifting the conversation a bit towards what what are the things that people have access to you know i mean i have had many thoughts about that the incandescent light bulb is actually one of the greatest impacts to all of human health yeah. from many standpoints literally yeah. the light itself but then what the incandescent light bulb allowed for was around yeah. the clock work and how it completely altered manufacturing and it completely altered productivity and it totally threw out. We, we were naturally constrained to have an ebb and flow every single day of active time and rest time, even yeah. if you weren't asleep. I mean, I, coming out of the, in, where I was in the jungle, there was no electricity. So we had little lanterns we could take to, back to our, our spaces that we were in these like screened in, but open air huts in the middle of the jungle. And, you know, dinner was over at eight and it's pitch black and <laughs> and like I'd go back to my space in my tombow and it was like twiddle thing twiddle thumbs twiddle you know yeah. and I did have a kindle and I did use a little bit but even then I was like they're just okay I guess I'm done and I'd like turn it off and it was black <laughs> and it was really noisy because the jungle is incredibly loud but that was amazing and then I'd be, and then every morning the sun comes up and the world is alive and you just like, it's unavoidable, you know? So, yeah. but what the invention of and bringing in electricity and denying that circadian rhythm, not just physiologically, but what it did 
to our society and our culture, like one of the yeah. most massive impactful technologies. What I can't really imagine is telling people, okay, I want you to turn all the lights in your whole neighborhood out, although that would be cool, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at eight o'clock at night every night, right? So what are some things that you've come to that are accessible for people? What would be your top places for people to start to go to work on improving the yep. quality of sleep? Yep. So I would create a sleep den, your cave. So drop the temperature in your bedroom. So below 65 degrees. Absolutely. I I, I have the windows open all year long. So drop the temperature in your bed. So create your sleep den, get out all of the electronics out of your bedroom. I, I'm with you. I don't wake up with an alarm. I don't need to, but please don't use your phone, like your electronics out of the bedroom. It's there for you sleep and you have sex in your bedroom there done. That's it. And then if you like, I live in a place where I don't need shades, blinds, cause there's no street lights. So if you need to darken your bedroom, do that. So create that den and then make sure your bed mattress is comfortable. And I love those memory foam mattresses, but they retain heat, the, especially the older ones. So your temperature rises. And one of the signals that tells you to go to sleep is a drop in body temperature. So if you're sleeping in a place that's heating all the time, it's actually going to wake you up. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there are like low cost things, right? And then bath, taking a bath before bed, an hour before bed actually does a number of things, right? Calms the nervous system, especially if you got smelly things that smell good, you have candlelight or whatever, but it also, when you get out of the bed, drops your temperature. So that's one of the, so, right. So we're dropping our temperature, we're creating our sleep den. Then if there's a way that you can this is the hard one, especially if you don't sleep well, is you've got to limit that LED light at night, right? Like if, if the natural rhythm is we go to bed two to three hours after sunset, right now it's five o'clock is sunset. So can you give yourself a window at night where you're at least, you know, they've got the blue light filters on your computer, on your Kindle, whatever, but Doing it, like I, I think of it in terms, okay, say to yourself, I'm going to try this for three weeks, see what happens. Then you can go back to regular life, right? And then you mentioned it earlier, go to bed and get up at the same time. That is like, if you can only do one thing, that's the thing. And give yourself the eight hours of that window to be able to do that. And so, and re be realistic, you know, like I know people, but Anyway, there's there's those things yep. that have nothing to do with a supplement I'm trying to sell you. Yeah. Right. These are just behavioral things. And again, get your face outside in the morning. I, I just like saying get your face out. You know, get your yeah. whole self out. But yeah, just get totally. Yep. <laughs> yep. No sunglasses, no sunscreen required. Yep. You know, just literally be out there. Ideally, yep. earlier in the morning, but any time of day makes a difference. Like exactly. completely. Yeah. So then if we're going to take the next steps, because I am talking to a master herbalist and there's a different way to work with herbs. It's not just like we said, that's not just about trying to like take so much valerian, you knock yourself out. Right. 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 What would be some ways that like, because when I think about homeopathy and herbal medicine, often when I talk to my clients is that we're using the wisdom of these plants to re-educate the body, to find yeah. its way back into a natural rhythm. And it's not something you need to take for the next three years. Ideally, we're going to work with this for a shorter period of time. Some yeah. people a month, some people a few months until we find your 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 body finds its way back into what it needs to. What would be some places that, you know, what are you teaching about this for herbal sure. intervention and even cannabis? Like what role yeah. does it play in this conversation? I think of three categories. One is the the tone of the nervous system. So these are your nervines, your nerve, nerve tonics. So what are the herbs that you don't have to, this isn't like valerian to put you to sleep. This is like, are you willing, because again, right, compliance, but can you make yourself a tea blend that you could drink after dinner, you know, that like, and if not like, or early in the day, throughout the day, but just like a nervine tonic, that's just going to soothe 
the, the system that you could take forever if you wanted. Things like milky oat tops. I love milky oat tops. Nettles, just because why not, right? But then you get into like, we could then go into like even the adaptogens, but let's just stay out of that. We're just like, what are the tone setters of the nervous system? That is a place where high CBD cannabis could be used like a tonic, right? As a way to help boost your own endocannabinoids, which is going to help you come out of fight or flight. I want to be clear. I am not saying cannabis is an adaptogen or a tonic. It is like that, the high CBD part. And that would be something, if it's a good quality medicine, you could be doing low dose, you know, one or two milligrams, very low dose. There's that. Then there's the two, the two branches of sleeping, which I think of inability to fall asleep, waking up, right? Inability to fall asleep. There's lots of causes. One of them is caffeine, right? Yep. Which stays but, in your system for 12 hours. Yes. Just, just the half-life. That's not even like all of the other impacts on your circadian rhythm. So even if you've had it in the morning and you're like, oh, it doesn't quote affect me after, you know, it's 12 hours and your system is still impacting right. you. Right. So if you could not have caffeine before 12 hours before you go to bed, like can yep. it just be in the morning, your one cup or whatever. So the herbs that help us like decrease sleep latency, right? So that's valerian. Like if, if the reason why your brain, you can't go to sleep is because your brain is on. I love skullcap. It's one of my favorite herbs, right? So skullcap Valerian is just a, a good all around quote unquote herbal sedative, right? Hops is another one that would help. And I would only do that in tincture because it's so disgusting as a tea, right? And then the other one that I have as part of my sleep protocol is kava. And I love kava for muscle relaxation and it is soothing to the nervous system. It opens the heart. So that's another and and we're also like, I would also, well, are you in pain? Is that why you're not sleeping? You know, that would be another category Branch, to address, yeah. right? So we're dealing with the nervous system with our nervine tonics, then pain would be a separate category. Then we're like, okay, how, help you sleep. And then staying asleep, what I will do, what I'll say to people is bring your little sleep tincture to bed and put it next to your bedstand with a shot of water. And if you wake up in the night, you can just dose yourself right there and not have to get out of bed. Yep. So that's, so there's the non-cannabis world, right? And then I absolutely believe that for sleep, cannabis is great short-term, hmm. right? I, I want to help train the body to get back to sleep, to learn how to sleep. So the way, the way it's thought about is that if you are having a hard time falling asleep, you could do a, a low dose tincture one-to-one -one, or just high THC, like a half hour before you go to bed, just low dose. And, and you want a cultivar, a tincture of a cultivar that's actually calming. It's, you know, people say indica, but I hate that nomenclature. And if you're a person that has wakes up in the night then you could take an, an oral dosing before bed, but a little bit higher dose. Like that's the way, you know, we work with, you know, at bed because I'm going to wake up in the night or start it a half hour, hour before I go to bed. I support like I medicine, cannabis medicine is oral dosed, not inhaled. It just lasts longer. But if you're like, look, I just take a hit of something. Okay then you do that right before you go to bed. But yep. like I like how you framed it. It's not that we're trying to like create a long-term relationship because we, we want to teach the body how to go to sleep. And I'll just add that one of the withdrawal symptoms from cannabis is sleeplessness. So if you're a long-term user of can work person who works with cannabis, you're going to have to go through a pay of, period where you don't sleep as well. And that's natural. That's side. normal. Yeah. 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 This might be a little 
specific, but it comes up. I do have some clients that have been managing pain syndromes with cannabis for long periods of time. Yep. And, and there's been some conversations about cycling on and cycling off it in order to help support the actual medicinal quality of it versus just staying yep. on the same doses forever. Do you have a scent? Like, is this that like a once every three months or does that have to be like, what is the timing of somebody that at this point we haven't gotten them to where they can come off of any, like they haven't gotten where they need no pain support. We're still in that right. window. Yep. Cause one of the things that I run into is where we're now in a loop around their sleep and their wake cycle and their pain management. And we kind of are trying to balance the the three different aspects. Yep. So one way around it is to change cultivars. Mm. That'll, that'll help. You can also reset your tolerance with 48 hours of abstinence. So there's a nut, that's a quick, right? Those are two two ways of working with it, and then that that drops the do- the dose way down once you come back. And maybe what you could do, like I, I think of somebody who has like osteoarthritis. Like the reality is, they might not ever not be managing pain. So I don't also want them to have forty eight hours of excruciating lack of sleep, right, and suffering. So one thing to do is that maybe during that 48 hours is that you work with really high dose or you work with CBD as a way to as a window across. Yep. 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 Totally. Awesome. Great. Tammy, this has been such a great conversation and definitely near and dear to my heart for something that I also um, very much beat the drum about with people (laughs) in my world of some of the inescapable truths of our physiology and you know, if we want longevity and we want high vitality and we want full energy, like one of the things I've been known to say is, you know, when you're thirsty, what does it mean? (laughs) You need to drink water. And when you're hungry, what does it mean? You need to eat food. What does it mean when you're tired? You're like, no, no, that can't be the answer. Like, it can't be that I need sleep. Like, no, I definitely need caffeine and I need to just work out more and I need to like mind over matter. And, you know, it's like, well, it could be that simple, you know? And right. Yeah. So, so it, it's, we don't, there is, there is a, I love the way you put it of, of growing up and, and coming to a new level of maturity and also the, the absolute, we, we lived, we had to live in symbiotic relationship with our environment for 99.999% of our evolution. This hundred year experiment is very, very tiny in the midst of, I just was looking at something and I I think it's, I'm going to get the exact statistic wrong, but it's close to like in, if we took all of human evolution and put it into the course of a year, what we've been dealing with in the last hundred years is like the last second. I don't even think second is long enough, right? (laughs) It's, it's like, so, so over the course of a year, like everything we've changed, all the things we've altered about the foods that we eat and the houses we live in and the detachment, I mean, not that long ago, at least many of us, we might have some modern conveniences, but we still would have been farming. We would have been growing at least a significant percentage of our food, if not all of it. And that would have us digging in the soil and impacting our microbiome and out in nature and and having the physical exercise that now we have to actually pay people to train us to be physically exercised (laughs) out so that we don't, you know, I mean, some point they're going to look back and just see the insanity of what we've been doing. But to give people a practical sense of things, it's, it's unfortunately quite simple in many ways, what there is to deal with. And, and, and it will, the hardest part is rearranging your life around it. That's, that's actually the challenge point. And so I have said, and I've seen it in my clients where incremental changes do start to stack and make a difference. If you can carve out 30 more minutes for your sleep, like I love the statistic that you gave the research about the children and the teenagers was that you just adjusted the school year by a half an hour and it made a difference. Yeah. I mean, it would have been yeah. great if they could have done two whole hours and let kids come in at 10 a.m. and be completely in their circadian rhythm. But it, it's like just adding in another half an hour, taking some more things out of the bedroom, sleeping in total darkness, dropping the yeah. temperature. Those are all yeah. super accessible things that, you know, pick one right. and, and work it out. And one that you didn't mention that I have had to coach people on is creating sleep arrangements with your partners. 
Oh, because mm-hmm. not all partners have the same way that they need life to be to sleep. And yeah. some partners are not willing to get certain electronics out of the room or things like that. And so I have coached relationships into can you have actually the willingness to sleep in separate bedrooms three or four nights out of the week and then have sleep dates where you're together again and have that experience, especially when I have someone in a chronic illness state, we just have to build their sleep bank. We have to do that or we won't get anywhere. And so I'll, you know, bring that in. And and these are tough conversations to have sometimes and tough things to face, but they make a huge difference. Exactly. Yeah. And the going back to like, I just, I, I, it's good that I have a sense of humor, but it, I, I'm like, we have to tell people to go outside. Like that is insane to me. Like we have to say, go outside. You need this for your health. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yep. 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 We do. Well, and we are, and people are listening and there are things yes. that are shifting, which is awesome. There are yeah. so many different ways for people to learn from you and work with you, which I love. You have published two books, Holistic Healing Guide to Cannabis and The Beginner's Guide to Growing Cannabis. And you have a free physiology with heart, heart physiology with heart free class. It's right on your homepage of heartstone.com, which will have all of the links in the bio here. There's a webinar that you've already recently done on sleep. And then there will actually be another webinar that you will have done by the time this goes out. And you're in the process of opening up this class, the sleep alchemist that people can dive in even deeper and really take this on. I mean, I, my, again, unpopular statements that I think I'm going to take all the way to the end of my career is anybody dealing with any sort of chronic illness or desire for higher vitality and longevity learn to cook and sleep, sleep well and learn to cook. Those are like two biggest things you could do that will massively impact your health and your physiology. So I was super stoked. You wanted to have this conversation today. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Great. And I look forward to having you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Great. All right. Until we get to do it again. Yay. Deep thanks to today's guest, Tammy Sweet her love, groundedness, and her connection to the ancient plant world. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time. <laughs>